get to it, open your Bible up if you would please, and let's get on to it. Let's get on into this word today. I want to uh, talk today from the topic, repeat with me please, say living in covenant. This is part four in our series. We started off, um, the, the series really started with this launching sermon on how people tend not to clearly understand what God is committed to. And so there are seven parts to this series that I, I want you to, to focus on. So I gave them all to you so you can see the seven questions I want to probe and talk about today over the next seven weeks, brother. The first one is, what is God committed to? That is the focus of the first part of the series. I wanted you to understand God's commitment to you. God's commitment to you is all about expanding who you are. I used Abraham as an example. Abraham was the 99-year-old man that God spoke to in Genesis 17 and basically said, I want to expand your life. Imagine this. You're 99 years old, and God says, he pulls out a knife and says, I want to start a, a blood covenant with you. I want to circumcise you. And the circumcision would be a sign of a covenant between us. First of all, you're 99. Second of all, it's like, it's time to retire, right? It's not time to start. It gives you a perspective of how God thinks. He's not tied to age. We are so tied to our age. And we think that when you get to certain ages, you're done. But this is a guy starting at 99, new covenant. And it's not the first time God spoke to him. He started talking to him at 75. It took him 75 years to get him into the right city. It takes God a long time to get you in the right place sometimes. Just to get your mind, to get you physically sometimes, geographically in the right place, in the right job, with the right attitude. And so this is the first thing I want you to remember. God was committed to this 99-year-old guy and a future. So that was the first one. What is God committed to? Second one, what are you committed to was the question I asked you last week. Are you a faithful person? Are you a committed person? Covenant is about commitment. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Covenant is about commitment. The whole series is called Living in, in Covenant. And if you're living in covenant, that means you're living with a strong sense of commitment. These are the things that I do, and these are the things that I don't do. Today, I'm going to answer the question, what is your family committed to? Last week, I asked you, what were you committed to? What, if, what was your personal covenant? That's what we talked about last week. Are you a faithful person? Can you be relied upon? Today, I want to turn to a broader conversation. Because I believe that sometimes, because you're not committed, because you are not following a covenant agreement, your family doesn't. That many times it spreads beyond you. I always say it never stops with you. Your attitude, your fears, your weaknesses, your strengths never stop with you. They always spread. And so I want you to just step back for a minute and ask this question. If I were to look at my family members and answer the question, what are they committed to? What would I, have to, what would I say? Are they committed to education? Are, are they committed to each other? If one is down, does everybody rally to that person? When one parent is sending a kid to college, does everybody come in and say, hey, let's buy a book? What, 
what is your family committed to? Now, they may all go to grandmama's house after church and eat up her food, but they're not committed to even bringing food. I want you to just think about this for a minute. And as you look at how you're building your family, think about what you're teaching them, what you're, what you're showing them. Are you teaching them that commitment is just one way? It's what you do for them. They have no responsibility. What is your family committed to? Picture the family reunion for a minute. Can you even get them together? Will they pay their own way? Will they participate? We'll go to a funeral for a minute. I do a lot of them. It's an amazing thing. To go into a funeral every now and then is one thing, but doing them all the time and having to be responsible for them is another whole feeling. Here's what you learn. People are not as committed as you think. They love you until you die. They will not pay to bury you. They may come to your funeral and cry that you're, because you're dead, but they will not help put you in that casket because that casket costs about $6,000. And so if that casket costs about five or six or seven thousand dollars, they're not interested. <laughs> they said, now can we get a cheaper box than that? Can we get one? And I'm not saying they shouldn't. You know, I told them, when I die, just send me straight on to the graveyard. Save your money. When you come to my funeral, you will not see a body. You will see a smiling picture. <laughs> That's it. If you want to, you can take a picture with your eyes right now. Blink. There you go. <laughs> I, I just, I don't know, I want a memorial service. I'm not against funerals, I think they're fine. But it's amazing how many times I've seen people struggle, 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 struggle to pay for them. And the people who love them the most, even if they have the money, they're hesitant to participate in the process. And so, what is your family committed to? When you look at all those factors, and you think about it, and you get honest, what do you learn? Next week, I'll talk about what are my friends committed to. If I want to know what you're committed to, I don't just need to look at your family. I need to look at your friends. Because if you hang around people who are committed to nothing, that says a lot about you. There's a verse that I love. It says in Proverbs, the companion, repeat it with me, please. Come on, say, the companion, the companion of, fools of fools suffers harm. Suffers I love the verse because you know what it means? It means... The fool doesn't get in trouble. It's the companion of the fool. <laughs> Most fools get off free. <laughs> it's you hanging with the fool. And I just thought it was an amazing verse that had a, amazing, an amazing message. And so I want to explore, or we want to explore next week, this issue of friends. What do, you, what do your friends say? And it might be good for you to think about that this week. Then the next week, we want to talk about this. What does your love life say you're committed to? Your love life. Yeah, all right. Pause, think about that for a minute. Your love choices. And I'm not just talking about who you love romantically. This whole idea of love, period. What you love tells me, and who you love tells me what you're committed to. You can say you're committed to advancing your life, but every day you're looking for a man. That's what you're committed to. You're trying to find the right woman. That's what you're committed to. Trying to find another person to be with romantically. And I put that in quotation marks. That's what you're committed to. And, you're, and some people aren't committed past that quote. I'm, quote I'm, I'm talking in code here. Romantic moment. What they define as a romantic moment. Beyond that, they don't care. They don't, want, they don't want to help you in any way at all. It's all about that moment. That Friday night. That memory. 
Then after that, we'll talk about what are you committed to spiritually. It's amazing how um, your spiritual life is an indication of a lot of things in your life. Because you don't pray, because you're not much of a, an, uh, an investor in your spiritual development, the first thing you do in the morning is you watch television, the last thing you do is watch television, the first thing you do is you play music. You have a lot of things you do first. A lot of, and I'm not saying those things are all bad. I'm simply saying your spiritual development is not part of that investment. And so are you really committed to growing spiritually? Or are you the kind of person that says, well, let me just come in here, Pastor Rick, teach, or let me come and in, in, get in church, and then they'll, they'll, that's, my, that's, my, that's my stamp right there. I'm, I'm spiritual because I came in the building. That's like saying you go to the gym, and I, I'm, I'm in good shape because I stood in the gym. <laughs> There's no investment made. And lastly, I'm going to take on a, a pretty painful, interesting topic. What is your government committed to? And that one I won't even touch today. This whole political environment is amazing. But what does the Bible say about it? What, well, how should we respond to that? And I'll do my best in that sermon to kind of jump in there a little bit. And it's closer to the election time, and I'll give you some thoughts and ideas. But let me, if I can, take you on a journey today. And let me take you to Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, where a statement was made. And that statement is what made me come up with this big question today. Joshua made a statement in Joshua 24, 15. It said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's one of the most famous verses in the Bible. And I, I wondered what made him say it. Because he hit, when I thought about this topic, that verse came to my mind right away. So what I did was I went back and looked at the context of his statement. Joshua said, as for me and my family, we are committed. Now, let's get it straight. What is your family name on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. Yes. Now, let's say it with pride. What is your family name? Yes. Now, I want to, for a moment, just ask for you and the what? Where do you draw the line? Joshua 23 is a surprising chapter to me. For some reason in this study, it became just, um, just a big surprise. Because I, I, you would never think a guy who had seen as much and been through as much starts out in Egypt in slavery. This was a guy who was born in slavery. And then he spends all those years waiting for a deliverer, and then Moses comes along. And then he watches Moses rise in power, and with, to his surprise, he rises with Moses. He becomes a confidant, a, a, a mentee of Moses. He watches Moses lead them out of Egypt, and he gets to help Moses lead them out of Egypt, three million people. Then once he leads them out of Egypt, he watches them for 40 years. He's one of the 12 guys that goes over and spies out the land. He's only one of two guys who's positive and believes they can overcome. And after he watches them rebel against God, and God says, for 40 years you're going to wander in the wilderness, this is the guy who wanders with them and watches them die, everybody 20 years old and older. He watches everybody die but three people. Moses, himself, and the other guy whose name, I can't even remember, what's his name? Caleb, Caleb help me out. Thank you, Bible scholar. Those three people. Imagine watching an entire generation die. Imagine watching this whole thing happen and you're sitting there and you're just <coughs> stunned. So now he is old. In chapter 23 of Joshua, he's at the end of his season. And that's one of the most amazing things about life because you come to the end of a season. You come to a moment when you're no longer going to be at that job, in this place. And that's where he is. And in that moment, you know what you start thinking about? The next generation. 
Who's going to be at my desk? Who's going to be running the company? Who's going to take over the businesses? Who's going to be the person? And you always ride by those businesses you once owned, and you think about it. And it's, it's sad when you see the grass growing up, and you see things happening that you knew you put in place. And now it's a mess. And Joshua now is talking about saving in chapter 23, the next generation. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. His whole goal in ch chapter 23, he calls a meeting, and his goal is to save the next generation. So before I read the verse, I want you to just answer this question for me. And this is not a question that's in your notes, so you need to probably kind of write this down. This is a question. Just for a minute. What will your family's future look like right now? This is the question before I read the verse. What would your family future look like if, if, you, if, if your kids never change? What would it look like? If the people that are in the company you work for right now, if they never change, what will happen to the company in the next 10, 20 years? What will happen to our country if we don't grow past certain behaviors? What will be the future of our country. This is Joshua standing at a crucial moment looking at the people who are coming up behind him. So let's take your house, your car, your savings, your retirement, your 401k, and say today was your last day on the earth. And all that you possess was passed to them. What would happen to it if they did not change at all today? What would happen to our church? There's something to think about that's hard to think about. If your family is not committed to developing the next generation, the next generation has some challenges ahead of it. And that's what Joshua addresses. Chapter 23, listen to what he says, verse 1. Now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to, to Israel, all their enemies around about them. That Joshua was old, advanced in age, and Joshua called all Israel for their, repeat it with me, please say their elders. Who else did he call? The what? The heads. And who else did he call? Their judges. And who else did he call? Their officers. And said to them, I am old, advanced in years. You've seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. Please remember where you came from. Please don't forget the past. Don't forget the 40 years in the wilderness. Don't forget all the experiences you've had. I am shocked at how easy it is for a family to forget. Your family, many of you, your families have gone through too much for your kids not to see the value of where they are. For many of us, you have climbed too high, given too much effort for them not to appreciate the opportunities in front of them. I don't think you fully grasp what you represent. I was, um, I feel, let me start, start I, I, I feel this immense responsibility every day of my life. Because 
I realized that in my family, as the, I, the world I grew up in, there were two people. It was Laura Beatrice Temple and Ricky Ricardo Temple. It was two people. And those two people, there, was, there were these pep talk meetings we used to have. And in those meetings, it would go something like this. You cannot be, and, and for a long time, she was, I was shorter than her, so she would look down like this. I could see her looking down and saying, you cannot be a lazy man. And then she loved the word trifling. It's one of her favorite words. You can't be a trifling man. You must know how to cook. You must know how to heat things up. You must know how to feed yourself. You must shine your shoes. Put your shirt in your pants. Iron your clothes. I can't hardly wear anything wrinkled today. I, I start twitching. There's something, there, and I, I know it was because of those long pep talks. And, and somehow I, I, I feel like I owe her this. I owe her effort, passion. I can't be, I can't whine. I can't complain. And it's not just her. I owe it to my forefathers. I owe it to people that are ethnically who've ethnically struggled and come through the hard times in our country, I owe it to them. I owe it to them to speak with clarity and dignity. I owe it to them. 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 Those who could not ride the bus or ride the front of the bus and those who couldn't go to certain restaurants. My wife looked at me just the other day. We went to a restaurant in Thunderbolt, and she said, I grew up here, but we could not. She was emotionally touched. She says, I never went in this restaurant, but as a little girl, I remember I couldn't come in this restaurant. And I thought, Lord Hammers, we in here now, first class. Come on, say amen. We in here now. That, I never knew that. She said, I was afraid to go in this restaurant. And somehow, you, you, you have to say, I owe it. Just forget about me for a minute. I owe it to them. I never wanted to be a man who was unfaithful to his wife. I never wanted to be that guy. I never wanted, I never wanted certain things. You know why? I owe it to them. I'm not mocking the journey. If you had a misstep in your life, I'm not, I'm not shooting you down. I'm just making a point. The reason you should change, the reason you should rise above it all, too many people pay the price. Joshua looked at these leaders and he says, guys, I'm concerned. And here's what he said. This is under Joshua as he tries to prevent. He's trying to do two things. One, he's trying to prepare and he's trying to prevent. Can you say those two things? Come on, say prepare, prepare. and prevent. prevent. He's trying to prepare the next generation and he's trying to prevent them from falling into a trap. And let me just say this. Preparation is key. A lot of the times when I look at people today, I can realize they're not prepared. They're not prepared for marriage. They're not prepared for relationship. They're not prepared. That's why you're struggling, because you're not prepared for it. If you are struggling in your marriage, I promise you the reason you're struggling is because you were not properly prepared, or you have not responded to the teaching you were given. And sometimes it's really hard to look at people like Joshua did and say, 
this generation coming behind me is not prepared. And we need to do something before we end up in a place we don't want to be. And listen to what he says in chapter 24 now, verse 13. I'm skipping all the way from chapter 23. I'm going all the way to chapter 24, verse 13. Here's what he says. I've given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. And you eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now you can rephrase all of that, and you can read it like this. You ready? I have given you a house that you did not pay for, and I've allowed you to eat of the vineyards or in the refrigerator that you didn't put any food in. Can you relate to that a little bit? Okay. Now, therefore, verse 14, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And I want to pause for a minute and say, have you ever had a moment when you thought, why do I have to say that? Why do, after 40 years in the wilderness, after all you guys have gone through, why am I having to say these things to you? Why am I having to say to you what you ought to do? Help me understand. I've given you all this, and now in verse 14, I've got to say to you in Joshua 24, fear the Lord, serve the Lord. It would seem like you know that. I shouldn't have to tell you to put away other gods. I shouldn't have to tell you where your priorities are spiritually, but I want you to notice they lost perspective. And here's the question. Is that what's happening to you? Their families were no longer committed to serving the Lord. Remember the big question today. What is your family committed to? Would anybody suspect that you are totally committed to God in your daily life? When they hear you speak, when they engage you, would, that, would they say, oh, I know what they're committed to? He looks at this, the, these leaders and he says, this generation coming is not committed. And, and he's concerned. He said, and I want you to listen to what he says in verse 15. It's even more powerful. He says, it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. He's implying that for some of you, it's like it's an evil choice. Don't force it on me. Don't force me to serve God. I can choose my own God. And he says, do you remember where you came from? Do you remember who and how God brought you through? This was a family going in the wrong direction. And so he makes this statement. Listen to what he says. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Are you going to serve those gods? Are you going to do those things? Is that the way you want to live your life? But as for me and my house, we will do what? Serve the Lord. That's our commitment. We're going to live under covenant. We're not going to go that way. One of my cousins called me once and he asked me this great question. He said, he said young man in my family, he said, when did you decide to be different? You see, in my family, and I say this with great love, I don't mean any harm because I love my family, I love my people, but the truth is the truth. And all of us have this story. Drinking was a horrible thing in our family. It wrecked and destroyed men 
from top to bottom. It was the worst thing ever to hit our family. Drugs came and caught the next generation. So several of our younger guys were caught up in the drugs and got caught, and some of them had tragic endings. I mean, it's horrible, horrible, horrible. And it didn't just touch them, the women, the young girls, pregnancies, all kinds of things started happening. And I'm not against being pregnant. I think having babies is wonderful. But statistically, the chances of you advancing lessen greatly. You don't have to let that be true. I've seen many women rise above the statistics. Can I get an amen? amen? But here's what I want you to understand. I know that the temple family, the, the, the nucleus of people that I was going to influence, the four people in my world that I had control over, I couldn't control what everybody else did, but as for me and my house, we were going to be committed and I, I don't know about you. Some of you say, well, I'm committed, but it's not going well. Here's what I've been saying to myself. This came to me so strong the other day because, you know, I don't like working out all the time. Even though this week I got in four days, week before that four days, I'm in a really good rhythm. I'm rolling strong. And, you know, sometimes you get up and you don't feel it, and you have to say, get on up anyway because I'm committed. I'm determined. And so here's what I've been saying to myself. Try harder. Try harder. Stop promising and try harder. Make it a point. All the excuses in the world don't change your family's life because when you're committed, it's obvious to people. Hey, listen, I can't talk right now. I'm sorry. Listen, I, 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 gotta, I can't talk right now. Look, call me, I'll call you back. I promise. Love you. Bye, fam. No, I listen. No, I can't, I, can't, I can't come to that. I just can't sign. I'm signing up for too many things. Uh, my marriage needs my time right now. My wife needs my time. My kids need my time. Can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. Everybody say committed. committed. See, commitment means you make a choice. Commitment requires that you make an investment. And that brings me to the next and the final point in this teaching. Because I want to show you how to help the next generation. Psalm 23 is a great text. One that you've quoted for years. But believe it or not, it's a map. And it shows you how to help the next generation succeed. One thing to look at them and talk about them and meet with each other and says, I can't believe they're just falling apart. And what are you guys going to do? Did you hear Pastor Ray today? There's your Harry. I just thought this sermon was so powerful. You need to hear the message. <laughs> Listen to Psalm 23 a different way. Let me give you some steps you can provide, some things you can provide. David's speaking. Here's what he says, right? The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. When you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord Forever. Great verse. Man, doesn't make you just want to shout, yell, and scream. But let me show you what it means. David, a well-equipped and well-experienced shepherd, understood the power of helping his sheep succeed. He understood that he was responsible for those sheep. He did it for years and was a master at it. And here's, here's what he said you got to do. You ready? you got to provide personal care. It's called shepherding. Everybody said that big word. Say shepherding. Shepherding. 
Notice the Lord is my shepherd. It's a very intimate term. When I was in Israel several a couple of years ago and I saw a shepherd walking in certain parts, I mean they still walk around with sheep. It's amazing. And I and I sat and I, I thought, man, that's that, that that it's just him and the sheep. That's it. It's intimate and personal. What we what's happened in our culture, and I think what's happened to the generation following is we're not personally caring for them. There's very little shepherding going on. When kids get somewhere around the sixth, seventh grade, we start pulling away. And when they get grown, go to college, we really let them go. And we don't engage them. The hardest years are not the younger years. You don't destroy your life when you're two and three. You do it when you're 18 and 19. The memories you got that haunt you are the young teenage years. It's when you were a high school senior and a junior on up that you started making choices and decisions that still stay with you today. It's when you go through the mall and you see the people you knew in those years that you cover your face. Oh, Lord, I hope they don't see me. It's in those years that you needed shepherding. And I love the way David says, the Lord is my what? Shepherd. shepherd. It's personal, intimate care. Secondly, not only should you provide personal care if you want to help the second, first generation, next generation, you've got to provide a stable environment. Listen to what he says the shepherd the Lord provides. He makes me to lie down in what kind of pastures? Green pastures. We water the grass. It's green. And it's still, besides still waters. Let me ask you a question. Do you provide a stable environment for the next generation to grow up in? Do you provide that? You know, it's amazing how some families, the whole family is this one big zoo all the time. We argue, we fuss. On the way here today, it was a big zoo where everybody fights on the way. And then we get to church and we like each other a little bit. Then we leave and go back to fighting. <laughs> I love the fact that he said, one of the things that you want to do is shepherd, the next thing you want to do is you want to provide a, a stable environment. My goal as this church is to provide a stable environment, a, a place full of green pastures. When you come here, we're not fighting the deacons and the elders and the musicians and everybody's not at war and there's not a whole lot of junk up, up our sleeve. We're not trying to squeeze you, take all your money. We're trying to accomplish goals. I want you to be clear. There are four tribes. We're doing these four things. I want you to understand exactly what we're doing. I want you to understand where we are. I don't want you to be confused about anything. If we didn't do something right, I want to tell you we didn't do it right. I want to tell you we got a better plan than we had before. I want to be honest with you. I want to tell you the truth. The truth. Sometimes it's hard because people don't want to know. Sometimes it's hard to shepherd people because they want to engage. If I call a business meeting, you won't come. So I'm putting together an internet thing that you just put on the internet for you. You won't come, praise God. So I'm just going to, we, we're working right now. We're putting it together. It's just here, here. Go, go on this page, look at it, and there you go. There's the money, da, 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 da. There it is. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. I, I just believe people, people should know. I don't have a problem with you knowing. Here, here's what's important. That you understand that without us doing this, without us engaging, the next generation's in trouble. And all of your hard work is going to be wasted. Because what happens is families are not committed to personal care. They're not committed to providing a stable environment. And thirdly, they're not committed to providing what I call up-close mentoring. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Up-close mentoring. Look what he says in verse 3. He restores my soul. 
You know why he says that? Because your soul, your soul becomes challenged. Everybody's soul gets frustrated and needs to be restored. Notice, he shepherds me. He's so close to me that he can see that my soul needs to be restored, and he's there to restore it. You know what's interesting? A lot of us, we're so distant in our families, we don't know when people got disturbed. They go for a year or two or three years before you even find out they've been depressed. Most of the people who commit suicide, their families didn't even know it. They look back and see all the symptoms and signs, but here's what happens, and this is no guilt trip. Don't feel guilty. Some of you will take that and you'll run with it. You'll leave for the rest of the sermon. Don't do that. I'm simply making a point. You are a witness to what I'm saying. He said, I want to shepherd you. I want to provide up-close mentoring to restore your soul. That's your intellect, your emotion, and your will. Those three things get confused. Mentally confused. Not sure what to do, how to respond. He provides up-close mentoring. And here's what the goal is, to lead me to the right path. He leads me in the path of righteousness. His goal is to get me to the right place. You want to help the next generation, you got to do that. You got to get closer, not farther apart. Then I love number four. You got to provide protection. This whole thing about spoiling people. Your child is dying. You see it. They're on drugs. Come in your house and smell like reefer. Or marijuana, whatever you call it. New name for it, whatever. You see it. You don't see it. Here's what he said. Yea, though I walk through the valley of drugs. Yea, though I walk through the valley of poverty or bankruptcy, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are where? With me. Not just praying for me. You're with me. Now, I understand there's a, there's, there's, there's a decent margin you've got to keep with some people because some people, some family members will not change. And I will not die with you. Let me say it again. I will not what? die with you. I'm not now. There's a line I draw. Somebody called me once and said to me, Rick, I need some money. This drug man's after me. I need you to give me some money to help me pay off this drug deal because I'm in trouble. I said, you better run. You better run fast. <laughs> he said, I told him you better run. You better run. <laughs> I'm going to have to go sell some more drugs if you don't give me some money. You had better run and duck. I will not give you money. You turn around and tell the police, I gave you the money. Then I get dragged into your world. No, sir. He's still living, so he must have did something. <laughs> what? I'm not in that. Come on, say amen. amen. I'm not in that. I'm not in that. Hold it. I'm not in that. No, you clap your hand because I mean that. I'm not in that. Oh, I'm not in that. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, oh. My son, I know he's selling drugs out my house, but I don't know what to do. I'm just, what do you think I should do? <laughs> Tell you what, when they kick in the door, you're going too. With your saved, sanctified self. You're going to have a jail ministry. That's what you're going to have. You better draw the line. I don't want Carlos having to come get you. Coming to see you. Because you didn't pay attention. 
You're letting yourself. Do you understand? Walking with people doesn't mean that, but there is a point where I can walk with you. There are things I can protect you from. And if you want to help the next generation, you've got to get, break out a rod, your rod and staff, your compass. There's a, there's a point where we fight. Okay, do nothing. Talk about it. Say something. But do nothing. Adopt no school. Take an attitude that says, we don't care about the world. Really? Is that what your family is committed to? Get up every morning, go on your job, take care of your fields, take care of your life, and you live in your world, right? Why is Pastor Rick caring about all this stuff? Just care about us, really? Us. Help us, God. You know, I've... Um, I'm, I'm going to be fine. I've I, I got a great future in front of me. But I have hurt myself by being generous. But I've helped myself because I don't live for this myself. Amen. I want you to listen to me. I will, I will be. You watch me prosper. You watch God's hand guide me through all of my, all of my challenges of victory. Oh, you can, you can put your eyes up here and see a man that's going to win. Have one that will always win in Jesus. Come on, amen. I mean that. I'm not, I'm not, but, but here's, here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned. I've learned something. God responds to my commitment. I want to know what you're committed to. Why should I invest in you? What is there in this for me? What, 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 why would the God of heaven invest his time and energy in you? If it's all about you. Every prayer is about finding you a man. Every prayer is about finding you a woman. Every prayer is about, about, about what? And then when you get one, you pray for another one. Because you had a few already. Come on, say amen. Don't act like you don't know talk. Your whole life is about not being committed beyond you. And you're definitely not committed to the next generation. You got kids you need to call. The things you could do. The things you could step in and do. I didn't say go too far. I said the things you can do. You're mad and embarrassed, and that embarrassment has made you pull all the way apart. You can't do that because this is your next generation. This is your group. This is your family. This is your what? If you're not committed, calm down, Tim. If you're not committed to them. What are you committed to? Your son may be living with a woman you don't get along with, but you should call her. Your daughter should not, should not feel as if she's not important to you because she's not in your house. It's your next generation. Joshua calls this meeting and says, it's your next generation. Listen, just because you don't like his ex-wife, can't stop you from getting to those kids. It's not right. I know she up to something. <laughs> so, 
People are always up to something. Just stay cool. Here's what Diane told me. This is uh, uh, what Diane said to me. I'm not chasing you. Preachers act crazy, they do all kinds of stuff. And she said this to me early on. She said, listen, I don't care, and I, I got to edit this a little bit. Um, <laughs> I'm going to edit this down a little bit. This, this, I got to go from R down to about GP. I got to get this down a little bit. May get a GP 13, we're going to see. I don't care who presents themselves to you, how they present themselves to you, clothed or unclothed, that's edited. Um, she says, you, sir, you, sir, I expect to do what's right. That's what she said. I expect you to do what's right. You can't make a man do what's right. You can't make a woman do what's right. Here's what you got to do. You got to do what's right. But you can't stand in the way of them seeing those kids. You can't stand in the way of that. You cannot. That is the next generation. And if you do not engage that reality. And can I go a little further? And if the person did mess up and if things did go south. Don't live there. You can't fix the next generation because you spend your life crying over this. If you decided to stay. If you decided to let it go, let it go. Step up on the high ground and keep moving. Come on, say amen. Step up on the high ground and keep moving. And don't be vindictive. I understand. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I'm, in the, I'm in all this all the time. I'm in, I'm in all of this with people and swimming with folks. And I'm in the river with, oh, my goodness, a lot of folks right now swimming with, through stuff. But here's the deal. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, shadow of failure, your sins, your failures, I'm not going to fear any evil. Because here's what I know at the end of the day. You're committed to me. You're committed to me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And lastly, you do something that's really amazing. The last thing he says in verse 5 is amazing in Psalm 23. You provide preparation. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. You prepare me. You provide and prepare me. You sit me down. You give me what I need to go forward. That's what this generation has to do for that generation. And that's not easy. And that's confusing. And there are moments you feel used. And there are moments you feel abused. And there are moments you get angry. And there are moments you don't want to care. And at moments you say, didn't I tell you that? You can't control it. But you can't be committed to your house. But as for me, and my son, and my daughter, and my children, and my church, and my city, and my country. You understand what I'm saying? We will serve the Lord. Come on, say amen. You hear me? Father, today I thank you for the message. I thank you for all that's been said and done. I pray that what I've said has been helpful. There's so many things that have swam, have, have moved through our minds through this sermon, but I pray that at the end of the day, they leave feeling a clearness in their thought pattern. I've got to save the next generation. I've got to analyze what my family is committed to. 
As for me and my house, we will honor God. We'll honor God in our giving, honor God in our serving, honor God in our attitudes, honor God in our lifestyle. As for me and my house, whatever you choose to do, whatever my cousins choose to do, whatever my neighbors choose to do, that's not me. As for me and my house, can you lift your hand and just worship for just a moment? As for me and my house. As for me, from this day forward, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24 and 15. As for me, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for making all this possible. Thank you for a chance to start again. Thank you for a chance to see. As for me and my house, we're not going to live in debt. As for me and my house, as for me and my house, as for me and my church. We will not burn out the pastor. We will not have a tired, worn-out leader. We will not. As for me and my house, we release him to rest. We release him in Jesus' name to do the kingdom work. As for me and my house, we band together. We don't have to manipulate each other and have long services and wear everybody out. As for me and my house, as for me and my house, we invite those who are streaming, Lord God, to feel a part of us today, for them to feel like they are a part of who we are. We invite them. We understand their challenge in getting physically in the building. For those that are on demand, who couldn't even get to the building or get here live, we invite them in Jesus' name. We say you are part of the family. We, we, we lift our arms up together, both physically and digitally, and invite you, Lord God, to use us. As for me and my house, we're not afraid of the future. We're not afraid of what's coming. And we're going to be prepared for it. And I believe, Lord God, that you're going to prepare a table before our enemies. And we're going to have what others don't have in Jesus' name. And I speak your word over our church. I speak your word over the future. And I declare by faith that you've called us to this season with confidence and faith in Jesus' name. Now, with every hand down, every head bowed for a moment, if you say, Pastor Ricky Temple, what you said today spoke to me. And I have not been serving the Lord, and I realize that I need to. And what you said helped me understand that I need to make a new commitment to God today. And if that's you, and you've really never made a commitment to God, but you realize, you realize today, I need to make one today. I need to really give my life to Jesus. I want you right now so I can pray for you, simply to raise your hand. I want to know who I'm praying for. If you say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. I'm one of those people you just mentioned. I need to make a commitment. I see your hand. Anybody else? Just put it up. Put it right back down. I see you. Anybody? I see you. Anybody else? I, I want to make sure I know. I see you as well. Anybody else? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Do I see you as well? Anybody else? I'm just praying for you. That's all. It's really easy, up and down. That's all I need to know. So I know who I'm praying for. Father, I pray for these who raise their hands. Some have raised their hearts. I pray this is the beginning. Those who are, who are here and at home, may this be a transforming moment. You died on the cross to set us free. And may this be a moment of grace and forgiveness, a moment of restoration and blessing. Thank you for restoring our soul today. My intellect, my emotions, my will, for re rebooting me May I leave this place transformed, and I thank you. I believe I'll never, ever be the same. Never the same. Because of your love and your grace in my life. And I pray and believe for the next generation that just like today you touch me, you're going to allow me to touch others. In Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. Wow, did you learn something today? Huh? Did you really? Was it really?